0: This content is brought to you in part by Real Marketing, the only marketing firm recommended exclusively by the Institute. Real Marketing utilizes over 25 years of expertise, and their products are built and customized for you to dominate any neighborhood anywhere. Go to RealMarketingForYou.com. That's RealMarketing, the number four, you.com. Also, look for past A State of Mind episodes with CEO David Collins as our guest. Welcome to A State of Mind, a podcast series all about motivating, inspiring, and educating you in the art of selling luxury real estate. This is Diane Hartley, and I'm president of the Institute for Luxury Home Marketing. Barry Kirk joins us today for part one of our podcast takeover for the month of January, and we're talking about building loyalty. Barry is a loyalty marketing strategist, and in his business, he solves real-world loyalty challenges using insights from strategic inquiry, behavioral data analysis, behavior science, gamification, and 15 years of experience learning what works and what doesn't work in customer loyalty. Join us as we talk about how building your business begins with creating loyalty within your sphere of influence. Welcome, Barry. It is such an honor to have you. I don't say this often, but this is kind of the highlight of my week here uh, in having a conversation with you because the things that you know and the way you present them are so really um really important in the work that the Institute does and our customers. And so um, if you don't mind, can you kind of lead us off with who is Barry and what do you do? Oh,
1: okay. That's kind of a, a tall order to ask for, like who is Barry, but maybe I'll, I'll just, <laughs> yeah. uh, I'll confine it to professionally. Good idea. Um, so I am what uh, is oftentimes referred to as a loyalty marketer. Uh, Which means that I uh, have a a deep expertise in one very niche area of the marketing world, which is essentially focused on how do you create loyalty, which really means connection and commitment and engagement and perhaps obsession um, with your better or best customers. Um, So the the word loyalty is kind of interesting in that we can talk today about what that word means. It's kind of a loaded term and we don't always actually use it the way I think, you know, human beings usually use the term um, loyalty, but essentially what I do in my career and in the uh, consultancy I work for Chapman & Co. is work with businesses that usually have one of two problems. They come in and say, um, I'm having trouble retaining the customer base I have. So I'm, I'm doing okay acquiring customers, but they don't tend to stick around, or maybe they don't come around the second time. Um, and I'm sure your audience probably can think of customers they've had where they've said they just disappeared on me, um, or I knew they were going to leave, but I didn't know what to do about it. The second thing we focus on after retention, because retention is kind of like the first problem, but you want to get past that pretty quickly, is how do I grow that customer? And growth could be what they're doing with you, or how they help you find other people that can grow with you as well. But that's really actually the key is you want that customer to be around for a long time, but you also want to give them a reason to do more business with you or grow as they grow in their ability to spend, they're going to do that spend with you. And we call that loyalty in, in the industry.
0: That's uh, brilliant. And and so you've, you've used some terms there that I want to make sure we really define deeply. Um, the first one is you talk about retention, okay? And retention takes on a lot of different meanings, but in the world of real estate, right, um, and especially in the world of luxury real estate, how do you see retention? You talked about it being not just them, but also their closest friends, right?
1: Exactly. So retention, I mean, at the the basic definition of the word is just your customers hang around. Um, It's a little trickier though, I think in the world of real estate, particularly luxury real estate, because as I think about it, you have long cycles between transactions. So if I'm a retailer, um, if I'm a grocery store, or I'm a Target, or even if I'm an airline, right? I have the, the likelihood that I'm gonna see repeated transactions from you in a relatively short amount of time. And I can build relationship off of that. You have reasons to transact with me frequently. But in some businesses, uh, like real estate, but also, say, for instance, the automotive industry. I mean, people only buy a car every three to five years. Um, in my case, every 10 years. Um, I like to hang out to a car for a long time and get the actual value out of it. That's,
0: that's um, more about Barry right there. That that is that's very personal. Yes.
1: Value. Um, well, what do, you, and what, so what do you do with that, right? So the in that sense, and this is really actually, I think, while a realtor is in a better place, a real estate agent's in a better place than some others, because You can't rely on transactions, on repeated sort of weekly, monthly um, transactional behavior to build loyalty. You have to actually base it on engagement. How do I keep you engaged from one transaction to the next? How do I build value during the time that we're moving toward a transaction so that I remember you afterwards? And so much of what we try to create loyalty around today is very logical transactional behaviors. Like, well, I just wanna move you to that next purchase. But when you have long periods of time between transactions, well, what do you have left? you have relationship? And that's really what we're trying to do in those periods is how do I create the right types of engagement relationships during that, that I'm actually building out what I think is a bit of also a loaded term, but a a customer experience there and being really intentional about how do I use that experience to build loyalty.
0: So when we think in terms of the example you gave, which is, you know, the purchase of a car, it's a product, right? But really, in real estate, we we see that as the house is a product, but the person is really in the professional services business, right? Right. Right. So it's, it takes on this other type of of identity, almost, in the real estate professional needs to look at their business as a professional service, but there's a product involved which makes it feel very transactional. And I think this is, and why I asked you here is this is, I think, the core for lack of a better term, okay? it's 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 out there. It floats around of uh, you know ninety percent of of people surveyed after a real estate quote transaction would use their agent again, but only like 15% of them do. And there's really a lot of truth in that. It's not super scientific. It's just, so I can't really even source it. So that drives me nuts, but (laughs) we all know it to be true, okay? And, And so if we take that as a truism in the business, I think that it's because it's the intersection of a product and a service, which makes it more complicated. And that's what I'm hopeful that we can unpack here in part one which is, we know it's different, okay? Let's first define the difference and then we solve for it. So yep. you you talked about engagement, again, yet another $20 word that gets thrown <laughs> around, but I want us to take a moment and define the term. When you, as the expert in this, define customer or client engagement, what do you mean?
1: Yeah. And it's a thing I think everybody needs to think about in terms of their own business, uh, particularly as an entrepreneur. Um, it really comes down. I'm, I'm building uh, interaction. I'm building commitment. I'm building customer connection around something. That something is what we call engagement. But I think the first question is, what am I building it around? What is that thing? And I think it's a really good observation that, particularly in in your industry, um, you're you're selling a product, I suppose you're selling your professional services, but are you possibly even selling more than that? So like my, my partner used to be in a mortgage officer. And when people would say, well, what do you do for a living? He'd say, oh, I, I do mortgages. And I, and I kept telling him like, don't say that. When, when people ask you what you do for a living, you can say second, but the first thing you should say to them is I help people realize their dream of home ownership. That's what I'm about. And if I can help somebody Sorry. get
0: it. You'd be hard to be married to. <laughs> You'd be editing. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but that's genius. Yeah. Say it again. But, say it again. So, wow. I, he, right. So, so
1: somebody that helps you get a mortgage is really helping you realize your dream of home ownership. And I think obviously that's what real estate agents do.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yes. There's a there's a transaction. There's a house purchase. They're giving you a professional service, but they're actually leading you through an experience that should be highly memorable. And if it is concluded in the proper way. Well, then it seems like inevitable that I would come back to that same person again. And yet, you, you know, we know that there's this sort of known statistic that people don't return. So one of the one of the questions we have to have is then where did I fall short in creating an engagement around an experience that was more than just a transaction, more than just a service? I thought about that. So let me yeah. let me uh, let me sort of talk about the difference between two terms you get thrown around a lot. The difference between customer experience and what we usually refer to as loyalty. And uh, I think it's easy to put it sometimes in somebody else's business terms that we we all have the same experience. So think about an airline. What is the customer experience of an airline? Well, the customer experience I oftentimes say is first of all, it's what everybody gets. Everybody gets the customer experience. And the customer experience is generally what is happening right now. So I go to the airport, The flight leaves from the gate it's supposed to, it leaves on time, my seatbelt works, they give me a drink, at least pre-pandemic, they gave me a drink, Um, and then it lands on time. That is the customer experience. But there's a different experience that we want to to try to build, which is what I would, maybe it's easy to call it, the loyalty experience. And the loyalty experience is what happens above and beyond that, and this is the really important part, Dan, what is going to happen next? What is my intention to do next? So if if everything went well today, then I probably have an intention to fly that airline again. I had a good experience. So I'm thinking in my brain, like I'm going to fly this airline next time and the next time and the next time. So future intention starts to be built in. So it's it's not just servicing the moment and saying things went okay today, but you're starting to engender in your, in your client the sense that, I've got to keep this person around because they're doing things for me that go above and beyond. And I'm always thinking when I need this person next or when I know somebody else who needs the same services, I'm already thinking ahead to that point where I'm going to bring this name up. I'm going to bring you into the discussion. You don't get that when all you're giving is just a great customer experience of the moment because we expect that everybody else. It's what are you doing above and beyond that really is engendering generating that future thinking.
0: So there's two things that came to mind for me that I want I want you to talk about a little bit more. The first one is this idea of the difference between the real estate, uh, the the more bread and butter sort of common middle market real estate experience, and the luxury real estate experience. And I put I put it in this way that there's an expectation of a completed transaction in the more middle market and entry market, that there's a transaction and it's going to get completed, period. Kind of a low bar in other words. Mm -hmm. Right. This this consumer that we, and I hate the word luxury, right? (laughs) But the consumer with a luxury expectation, which is changing dramatically, and we'll get into that later, but they have an altogether different expectation. And it's actually not just around completing a transaction. It's around making the right decisions. And so when I said before that I think this intersection of, of service and product is where there's danger for a real estate professional, is exactly, and you explained it, that there's the temptation to focus on the transaction. And right. when the transaction is over and there's this big thing called the closing, there's closing gifts exchanged. There's all kinds of moments around that final thing that even further create this, it's a transaction and it's over. Yeah. This is this is the place of how I want, you know, our members and the folks who listen to this podcast to think differently. And why I invited you to be on the podcast. Because if you continue to focus on the transaction, you will get transactional people, right?
1: And transactional loyalty. That's right.
0: So divine transactional loyalty.
1: Okay. So um, I know one thing you've know, not talked about before is I have um, this model that I've used in my work where we talk about four different types of loyalty. But I think at the moment we're really we're really talking about two of them. And first of all, I should probably back up and say that I think it's really critical when you're thinking about your own business not to think about loyalty as binary. It's either on or off. Well, I have my loyal customers and I have my Transient, you know, customers who come and go. But I have my really loyal customers. Well, even those really loyal customers are probably loyal for different reasons. You you activated that loyalty in different ways at different times, and it's really important to think about that. So one of the ways we can certainly activate loyalty with customers is what I'd call mercenary loyalty. And it sounds, it's like exactly, exactly what it is. sounds like. Yeah. yeah, it's that. To your point, it's that loyalty of the transaction. It's loyalty of the price. Like you, you, uh, you know, you you cut your commission so that you know somebody decided to go with you, um, or you were able to get them in at, at a great price. And there's there's nothing wrong with it. We we identify it because it is a type of loyalty, but it is loyalty of the transaction. And the the danger of building your loyalty around that is it's very possible for somebody else to deliver a similar kind of transactional experience. Right you, to your point, it's a low bar. Well, the fact that it's a low bar means how many people can meet that bar? Probably almost everybody, right? So if that's what you're basing your loyalty on, you're probably constantly trying to to get the same people to come back you're not being successful at. So that's one thing I'd say to look at. If you're struggling with the retention of your clients, of getting them to stay connected with you, coming back or referring you, look at how transactional that is. Uh, Because what it probably means is it's not that you did a bad job, the customer service, the customer experience was probably just fine, but you didn't differentiate. Anybody else could have provided pretty much that same thing. So where do I go then? So one of the other types of loyalty we talk about, which is way more relational, is I actually call it true loyalty. So everything else is not true in a sense. Sure. True loyalty is the loyalty of the experience that you create. Um, so you you brought something above and beyond the transaction, I, I, the product, even your own just being a, a a professional delivering the service you're supposed to? Did you get to know that customer better and get to know their needs better? Did you anticipate what they needed without them even maybe even realizing they had that need yet? That's probably the highest form of this, right? If I get to know you, whether that's through personal interaction or data, and I can say to you, I know you haven't asked about this, but we need to go look at this or we need to think about this. You're anticipating things they haven't even asked for. That's that's totally relational that is not transactional at all. It's also, do I follow up with you afterwards? Uh, do I stay connected to you even when there's not um, a quid pro quo in the relationship at the moment so that you feel like I'm somebody that continues to give value over time? So why is that better? Because the quality of that experience that you're building raises the bar. And it's also very difficult for a competitor to see exactly what you're doing. So it's hard for somebody else to copy. And that's also how you begin to differentiate in the marketplace, is delivering that different kind of experience that's personalized, that anticipates those customer needs. It's very, very hard to break that kind of loyalty being built. And does that mean I can just forget about the transactional piece? No, definitely not. You you have to have the transactional piece. You have to meet the low bar, but then you start to raise it with the experience that you create the relationship for building. So
0: defining the Mercenary, as simple as could just be price, right? Sure. And true loyalty is defined by that idea of anticipation of their needs, right? Yes. That's very difficult. You have to be a real professional to know that, right? To my love, I try very hard to always quote Wayne, Wayne Gretzky in skating to where the puck is going right? Yes. Everybody knows that this is what a transaction looks like, but your profession and all of your experience says, but here's really what's going to happen. Um, And because I love your model, and it's the reason why you're sitting here, um, can you just explain the other two in in this model?
1: Yeah. So the other trans, there are two transactional types of loyalty. There are two relational types. So the other transactional type other than mercenary uh, is what we call inertia, Loyalty, and that, generally speaking, is loyalty that we have to to brands or experiences that one we either feel sort of trapped in, or the other thing could be we just don't care enough to move on. Um, so, just personally, we all, I'm sure, could think of experiences and we say, "Well, I'm. It looks like I'm loyal to that brand. I keep buying that service or purchasing that product, but it's because I can't get out of it. Like, for instance, that's most people's experience say, with their cable company." Um, people say I don't love the service but you know there isn't anybody else offering in my town or it simply could be it's too much trouble to move it over
0: right um, talk about sticky right sticky
1: right and, and so I
0: sometimes think cable companies provide that bad service <laughs> <because> <laughs> it actually creates more stickiness I know that's absolute.
1: Terrible. oh that's right? interesting the,
0: the exit is so difficult and and I was also thinking as as you were talking that Another one for me personally is the airlines, right? Mm-hmm. So I look far more loyal to American than I do to Southwest, because in Dallas, Texas, we have serious choice. But it's only because the loyalty program at, at American is just a little bit better for me,
1: right? right? And you've got, you've got some what I'd call stored equity there, I'm sure, in form of miles or points, right? So exactly.
0: you're going to abandon
1: that. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Stored equity. That's interesting. Um, stored equity. Okay. So what's the other relational loyalty?
1: So this is the, the toughest one to earn, but I am, I have no doubt there are people in the luxury real estate space yeah. who are building this, right? Um, which is what we, I affectionately call cult loyalty. Um, but you could also call it tribal loyalty, social loyalty, whatever is the term that best fits. But this actually has two aspects to it there, it starts with some sort of a values alignment. You look at that brand or that service or that person delivering the service and you say, there is something about what they stand for or how they approach their business or what they do um, that I connect to as a, as a buyer and also as a person. Um, and that could be a, a getting just out of real estate for a minute, that could be looking at like a, a brand like REI and saying, well, I'm really into the environment. And so I want to go to REI and buy things and they, they donate to the environment. So that's it. But it can also be that, well, I'm a, I'm a really frugal parent and I think about saving as much money as possible and being very careful with our funds. And so I have a values alignment, believe it or not, with Walmart, a person might say, right? So you've got to figure out where the values alignment is. And part of that is saying, as a brand, as a person in the market delivering a service, what do I stand for? What am I about? But the other thing that happens oftentimes in cult loyalty is you start to build up a customer base who connect to each other or see each, see each other as, well, I'm making a choice to be your client. And I also see other people that I think are similar to me making that choice that reinforces my decision that it's a good choice. In, in uh, psychology terms, it's a thing we call social proof. Um, I look at other people to see what they're doing. And that tells me, and that's what human beings do all day long. It's I always say it's the reason everybody always ends up in the long line at the airport. There could be a short line and a long line and everybody gets in the long line. And then you always see the TSA guys like, Hey, there's a line open over here. And everybody's like, "Mm, should I go over there? Why, why are we hesitant? Because all the other humans are in the long line. They're telling us where we should be. Um, And the same thing happens in business. As you start to build a clientele, other people who look like them are going to look at that and say either, either that works for me. I, I look at you like you're building tribal loyalty because similar people are sort of circling what you're doing. Or they don't look like me, and maybe that's the reason I don't become your customer. It's it's much trickier to do than true loyalty, which is really you've got all the levers in true loyalty, right? Because you're you create the experience you want to create. But it's definitely something I think, especially as you get into a luxury environment, um, you could if if you can get into that cult loyalty space, you know you, you're going to hang out with those customers for life. At that point, it's very hard to say, oh, my, I don't I don't have those same values anymore, and I don't connect to that same tribe, so I'm moving on. When we lock into values and we lock into a tribe, we pretty much lock in for life.
0: So that's a lot and really good. And now I'm going to ask, because the way my brain works is I need examples. Okay. Yeah. So if I have engendered um, inert, inertia loyalty, what does a referral to me look like and sound like? If that's the loyalty that I have engendered.
1: There's an easy answer to that uh, yeah. people do not give referrals when they're in inertia loyalty relationships.
0: Right. So now I'm not going to say my cable company, n- not to be named, uh, my, ca- my cable company, I'm not going to recommend it, even though literally I've probably been with them for 20 years. Okay.
1: Yeah, let me, let me give you a different example uh, that we've all, that we're all have because we don't all have cable. I don't have cable anymore. You know, I cut the cord. Oh. Um, let's talk about uh, trying to get a ride at the airport. So for how many decades were we stuck with yellow cabs? And did anybody ever have a good experience riding in a cab? No. Like, never. You know, they, you didn't know if that was, especially if you call a cab. Is that the cab I was supposed to be in? And I got in and, you know, it didn't really meet my standards of cleanliness. So the driver was rude or it seemed like they took a really long route to get where we we're supposed to maybe to run the meter up. And then we got there. Suddenly their credit card reader was broken and I had to like figure out how to pay them cash. So tons of inertial loyalty in that environment, and then what happened? Uber came in and almost overnight broke up all the inertia. Well, everything that was wrong with that experience they fixed in their with their app, and people abandoned cab companies immediately. So cab companies—that's the danger. One of inertial loyalty is it's very easy for a competitor to break any of it, and it's gone overnight. But nobody referred anybody to like, oh, you really have have to try one of those yellow cabs at the airport. In
0: fact, next opposite, time you go to the airport. Yeah.
1: Yeah, don't have your partner pick you up. Don't have your, your yeah. spouse pick you up. Yeah, Get in a yellow cab. They're so awesome. Nobody ever did that,
0: right? And so in, the, in terms of real estate and disruption, if the loyalty that was created is, is truly inertial loyalty, it's highly disruptable, right? Very disruptable. I have to use an agent here is probably the worst kind of thing we want
1: to hear right yeah and also if somebody just said well i didn't really love the experience with you but i mean it's just easier to go back to you again Mm -hmm. Um, or if i did it again because i just don't know who else to go to you're just waiting for somebody else to make themselves better known than you or more visible than you
0: or something
1: something exactly
0: Nobody sat around, well, sure, certainly I didn't. I hated the experience of the yellow cab, but I didn't sit around and think about what are the alternatives. They were, they were suddenly there. That's right. Um, so, so now let's talk about what the referral looks like if I have mercenary loyalty. In other words, in, in the words of sort of our business, it's I've cut my commission. Uh, I, have, I charge a ridiculous, this is a big topic, right? So what yep. does that look like?
1: Yeah. And one thing I do want to note, I think mercenary loyalty is not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. It just can't be the only thing. And frankly, in a very competitive market, it it might be very smart that that's an area you're focusing. Right. And you definitely can get uh, referrals there because people can be very, very satisfied with you delivering on a mercenary promise. Uh, But the referral you're going to get, guess what that referral is going to be all about in the messaging to the next person. You've got to go to Diane because she is going to cut the deal to the bone. You're going to be so happy with the rate or, you know, the fees or anything else, right? Or she's going to spend twice as much time with you as anybody else. And you're not going to end up really having to even, you know, recognize it in any of the costs of what you're doing. So you've got to be aware of that. And maybe, frankly, early in your business, that may be a thing that you make a decision in order to build a portfolio. I've at least got to do some of that, Right. There's a point where you're going to say, all right, I'm at an inflection point in in my career where I want to move past that early on. That may be a way to start to just, you know, to be able to say to somebody else, well, I, you know, I've, I've done, I've made 20 sales. So I'm now somebody you can right. trust to do this, right? right. So early on, I think that's okay, but just be aware people refer people who look like them in most cases. So if, if I'm the person who really was satisfied with you because of the the mercenary relationship we had the next person I refer is probably going to be anticipating that same relationship.
0: And so if I now I'm going to move into this idea of true loyalty, right? And if I'm there or on the cusp of there, what does that look like?
1: So that looks like somebody who uh, had an experience with you that they said something stood out uh, that had nothing to do with probably with the, the property or the home they purchased Um, It didn't have to do with the price. There was something else that you did. And that's what the other person's going to hear about. So they're they're not going to talk about, you know, how many weeks it took or anything else. They're going to say, I I got some additional attention from this person, or they really understood me. They understood me in a very, the very unique way we have, because one thing as consumers, we all believe is that we're the most unique consumer in the marketplace. And the thing we love is when somebody else recognizes that. Um, So that's what they're going to tell that person about. Now, when that person comes to you who was referred and they say, oh, and I heard you did so-and-so for that person. Here's the really interesting thing about this. In mercenary loyalty, whatever you're told about, you have to deliver that for the next person. But in true loyalty, whatever that person heard about that brought them to you, you don't necessarily have to deliver that thing because what you're reminding them of is I get to know you and deliver what works for you. So I don't have this sort of entitlement mentality built up that, well, I was referred because I heard you did this for my friend, but you're going to say to that person, yeah, and let's figure out what's right for you. So you don't get into the spiral like, oh my gosh, every time I did something for somebody now, I got to do that for everybody. Right. In true loyalty, you're mapping the experience to the individual as best you can. And so you can be much more flexible with what you do or don't do.
0: Now, is this, um, is this where anticipation comes in? Need anticipation? For sure.
1: Yeah. Anticipating needs. And, you know, you said something earlier, I, I uh, was kind of thinking about <clears throat> that so much of what we're talking about, you're going to be better at this further into your career than you are at the beginning. Yep. Right. Yep. Because that's just the case. I mean, in the case of all careers. Ideally, we get way better as we, we move into the second, the third and the fourth decade. So what does that mean for somebody who's in the first five years of their career? Right. Well, what do I do? I haven't, I haven't built up enough experience to know this. And this, I'm gonna get back to your question here about creating engagement, anticipation. What, what are you leveraging then early on? Because it can't be experience. And one of my favorite phrases in the work when I'm doing work with my clients is re- remind yourself that customers are human beings first. And the, the word first is really important. So before they're a client, before they're a customer, they're a human being. And so even early in your career, you can choose to interact with your clients As human beings. And you intuitively know, as one human interacting with another human, that people like to be known. They want you to see them. They want to be heard. They want you to listen to them. And you can wow them by putting those two things together and doing things that they need before they ask you to do them. And I think even somebody who's one, two, three years into a a real estate career can say, well, I I can do that. I, I can get to know my Customers, make sure I understand that I I got the right data points on them. I can listen to what they're saying. And the third thing is I can start to try to get ahead of what they're asking for. You're not gonna be as good as somebody who's got 10 years of experience. But even at five, I can start to say, based on what I heard and what I know about this person that I'm interacting with, how can I make this buying experience better for them? What can I get ahead of? And I might have to do that differently for each client that I have, but that's that that's where you start to build that true loyalty. And, and anticipating
0: I, it, yeah. As I hear you, I, I use another word as well, and it's just awareness, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, in order to anticipate, you have to be aware, and and obviously, this idea that they're humans first, right? But but really, being aware of what's happening and not being caught up in the moment of it, and being able to step back and say, "What's really happening, and where is my value here?" Right. You don't yes. need 100 years of experience to know that. You just need to know you have to do that, right, Bear?
1: That's right. Yeah, you have to be aware of doing it. And I think the, the, the reason for being very uh, intentional about this stuff is if you don't get into an intentional space of, I need to you know anticipate needs and be aware. I'm trying to build loyalty. Like, think about those things. It is really easy to just think, like, I need to close that deal. And I need to close two deals this week or however many this month, or I need the, the one bigger deal. We get very, very focused ourselves on the transaction we need to complete. And then we wonder later, why didn't that person come back? Why I, you know, I asked them to refer somebody and they never referred anybody. That's probably why it's happening that we got too much in the headspace of just a machine selling a product, a machine closing, you know, a home buying experience or a luxury home buying experience. And we weren't thinking about how did two human beings interact in a way that that one person, even if they go away for a while, remembers me, tells other people about me. And when they have the need again, comes back to me. You've got to get to that relational space to be there and to be effective.
0: You know, um, that was great. Thank you. And and so I'm doing these in order and I shouldn't, because obviously the, you can come in and out of these. Um, yes. the, and so. So lastly, there's tribal loyalty. And one of the things that I've observed, and I'm not a professional at this, you aren't, so I'm gonna ask you uh, to confirm or deny my my observation. That is that luxury consumers can tend to be tribal. And my firsthand experience with this is the act of referring, right? Um, A, as we get into that match of I had this expectation, it was pretty low and while wow, they've overachieved it. And then I have this rather tight circle of folks I know, I'm just going to pass you around. And well, first, what do you think of that observation?
1: Yeah, it's a really interesting way to think about it. I, I think you're correct. It sounds right to me. I think by the fact that you're thinking about people Who are luxury uh buyers. So they're in that market. By the very nature of being a subset of a subset of the population, they're already a a bit of a tribe connect together. You know, in marketing terms, we'd say they're a segment or maybe a cohort, but a a tribe for sure, right? In any business, your your uh VIP customers, your top end, your high spenders are are by definition already in a a smaller tribe of people. Um, So probably already see themselves there. Now, the question I would have, though, as you think about that, is that where the tribe stops or does it become the tribe of people in that group who do business with you? That's the tribe you're trying to create, right? And then they start to see themselves in a referral kind of relationship around that group. That's what you're trying to get to.
0: You know, um, we're going to have a part two of this. And in the part two is when I really want to dig a little bit further into what I'm about to say here. OK, and that is as we look across these and I and I do love your model, it's still in my phone um, <laughs> that, uh, and we will share it with the audience. So one of the things that I see a, happening in the future that I'd love for you to comment on and then we'll jug, dig much deeper into it next time is this idea of tribal loyalty today. And. How really? How much more prevalent that is generationally for these, this next generation of Gen Z and millennials. And really, what's driving this insane market is these folks. Okay, this 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 um, real estate market today is those folks woke up and said, "I want to be homeowners." <laughs> okay, that's really what happened. Yeah. And so now we're in this inventory crush, and everybody talks about how there's no inventory. And people who really successful real estate professionals who are used to carrying 15, 20 listings, they don't have any because they've sold all of it. It's a really mm-hmm. weird time. And so this term that we're going to talk about going forward and, and truly loyalty marketing, especially to this niche, is the Henry's, right? The high earners, not rich Appreciate yet, yeah. right? And so as we think about tribal and Henry's and what they've grown up in um, and why, why are they so important to understand going forward with loyalty marketing?
1: Yeah. And they're interestingly, so that, that group of millennials, um, and frankly, not too far behind them at this point, the the Gen Zers, right. They're going to be in the market pretty quickly. Uh, The oldest millennials are now, I think, close to 40. Yeah. Um, So the the interesting thing is because of the prevalence of the internet and social media, um, that was a generation more than any other um, that was raised on tribal identity. I mean, we all had it. You know, what high school we went to, what sports team we like, what religion people belong to. But what happened with um, the millennials um, being raised on social media as a core way that they communicated is they were able to to exercise these tools to find very, very quickly the niche tribes, much smaller tribes than any of us think about. Um, Which is also, by the way, why I think it's very possible for an individual, a professional person in the market, to also have a a tribe that connects to them. You can build very niche tribes right now. Um, But the other thing, and I kind of started here in our conversation, but this is also where values become an important part of the discussion. here at Chapman Co, we ran a study earlier this year of the way consumers are thinking about the marketplace. And we asked them, do they, the values espoused by a business, any kind of a business, do they influence your purchasing behavior? And about 55% of respondents said, yes, I, I look is about as much as what they do. Um, but here's the really interesting thing. If we break that down by just people who, in the same survey, said yes, I am a brand loyal person, because some people say I'm not brand loyal, but people who self-identify as I am brand loyal when I pick a brand, when I start doing business with a business with somebody else, a person, I stick with them. They are significantly more likely to say that the values of that business or that professional are driving my decision making, and that's what's happening in this millennial market: is um, they are less price conscious, although they're struggling a bit financially right now. They're right. less price conscious, but they're more connected to the level of whatever you want to say, how values come to life. It could just be what kind of person you say you are in the market. Uh, what are you about? What do you represent? How do you interact with people? What's important about that? And if you can start to build the connection with that market there, one, you're actually creating your, you know, your client base for the next 30 years is really yes. what you're trying to do there right? So it isn't about the current market. The current market at some point will move into a different kind of market. So you're you're building your client base for the for the move forward, but you're also building a client base because they're going to connect to you around who you are and what you stand for um, and around the other people who make that decision. A client base that's going to be v- much less sensitive to the mercenary transaction. Right. That will not be their focus, right? Their focus would be the experience. Their focus would be being connected to you. And that's when people cannot, and this is really important. It's not that you can get them to do a referral. They cannot resist referring you to somebody else when they get there. Because what they're saying is I'm on the inside of something, right? think like you and I talked about before, it's, it's sort of the I got a guy mentality, but yeah. I got a guy as a way of saying like, I can bring value to somebody else because I'm on the inside of some knowledge or some experience. And that's why you want to be there. And we can talk about this when we do part two about referral. But oftentimes we start with thinking to get people to refer, I have to goad them into it, prod them or pay them. But if you do loyalty right, at some point, it will just do it. It'll happen on its own because those people can't help but talk about you to other people.
0: Right. That's really great. And I'm looking forward to part two Um, and this idea that and why I bring the Henry's into this is there, ex- there are a lot of them. Okay, right. they're going to make up half of the luxury market in a couple of years, and most importantly, we have always seen luxury in the baby boomer era as luxury is the buy up market, and in the Henrys, it's not. It's their first home. Yeah, and so as we look to that, let's unpack that next time. Thank you so much for um, having this conversation. You're 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 really awesome, and I can't wait to have All you. Thank
1: you. Really enjoyed it, Diane. Thank you so much. Thanks,
0: Barry. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of A State of Mind, The Art of Selling Luxury Real Estate. If you're interested in learning more about the Institute, you can find more at luxuryhomemarketing.com. If you like what you just heard, please share with a friend. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Thank you for listening.